We come in chapter 8 to another of the visions that God had given to Daniel to speak to him about what would come in the future, but also to encourage the people of God as they came to the end of their period of exile in Babylon, would return to Jerusalem, that God is sovereignly in control of all things. And this vision continues to some degree that which we looked at last week in Daniel chapter 7. Once again, we'll read the entire chapter beginning in Daniel 8, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering... Behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand against him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. And then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it said, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. 
But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and he made me stand up. And he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be the latter at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. And his power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hands and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken. But no human hand, by, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal, it, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And then I arose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. This is God's word. May he add his Blessing to the reading and the hearing and now the teaching of it. Let's pray together. Lord, you have revealed to us wonderful things in your word. Things which we understand and even things that we don't. And yet you are opening our eyes to see your glory, to see your sovereign hand at work, not only in the ways of history, but even in the very details of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us understanding here, that we would see, even reflected in this vision, a vision of your greatness, a vision of your grace, a vision of the triumph of your kingdom, which comes through your Son, Jesus the King of Kings, and pray this in His name. Amen. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How much longer will your people suffer? How much longer will your enemies prosper? How long will you wait to defend your name and your cause. That was the cry of God's people in, in Psalm 74, which we read earlier. A psalm that, that many believe dates to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians, which led to the, to the exile of Daniel and God's people in Babylon. And some even think may point to a later date prophesied in our passage here this morning when a man named Antiochus Epiphanes utterly profaned God's name and destroyed his dwelling place. But it's a question that has remained on the lips of God's people at various times and in various situations, even down 
to our very day. In times when we feel the pain and the, of sin and evil in the world, where we face the difficulty and hardships, whether on a corporate level or on a personal level, we become painfully aware that our sense of timing and urgency and even, it seems, justice appear dramatically different than God's. When going through difficult trials, we often think in terms of months or, or maybe years. But as the Apostle Peter reminds us in his letter, the Lord, for whom a thousand years are like a day, often thinks in terms of centuries and millennia. Boys and girls, you know what it feels like if you're driving on a long trip with your car journey with your parents and you start getting a little uncomfortable or hungry or, or maybe just bored with the, with the journey and you ask, how much longer till we're there? And your parents probably reply back something like, not much longer. <laughs> and you're thinking, great, on another 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes before we're there. But mom and dad have a bigger picture of the details of the trip and they know there are still hours left to go. They have a, a different perspective on the meaning of not much longer than you do. And the result is you repeatedly pose the question, how much longer? How much longer? Well, it's not different for us. God's perspective is different. He sees the bigger picture. And Daniel and the people of God have been exiled in Babylon now for some 60 years. And they have been told by God through the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah that that exile would last 70 years. And that God would redeem His people and, and rebuild His temple and restore His kingdom. And so the question, the answer to the question, how long, seems in the mind, their minds to be not much longer. The end of suffering, the triumph of God over His enemies, the restored rule and reign of His kingdom were, were just around the corner in Daniel's mind when Israel would return to the land from exile, or at least so it seemed. But the, the latter half of Daniel and the visions that he receives from the Lord serve to reveal a much bigger picture. A much deeper reality that would extend well past the, the life of Daniel and the return of God's people to Jerusalem and well beyond the, the rising and the falling of the kingdoms in Daniel's vision. God shows Daniel and his people that there is still a long ways to go in the outworking of history, in his plan of redemption and the restoration of his eternal kingdom. And here in this vision, he is he's helping Daniel to see that there are still dark days ahead. Days of continued opposition to God's power and oppression for God's people. But even the fact, even the fact that God shines light into this, this long journey in the dark days to come. And he does it so far ahead of time and with such pre precision to Daniel. Even that gives hope and it strengthens the faith of his people to persevere in trust and obedience to God. Even when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. What was true for Daniel and God's people in exile is true for you and me today. We who have now seen the true light of life shine in the darkness of this world in the person of Jesus Christ and are closer to the end of the long journey where God truly will restore all things in His eternal kingdom. And yet, 
we still live with the question, how long, O Lord? How long? And how does what God shows Daniel encourage us in our continued waiting on the Lord amidst dark and difficult days? Well, the vision which, which Daniel is given in chapter 8 occurs two years after, after the previous one he'd had in chapter 7. It's in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, the king of Babylon, the last king of Babylon. And in it, Daniel is taken to a specific location in the city of Susa near the Ulai Canal. Already we see that this vision will focus in on, give more identifiable particulars to the unfolding of history than the previous one did. In fact, this vision gives more detail on parts of the earlier vision in chapter 7, particularly on the second and the third beasts of that vision. If you were here last week, the bear raised up on one side and the leopard with wings and, and four heads. Only in this, this vision, they are not... They appear not as terrifying beasts, but as overgrown domestic animals. And the chapter breaks down into two parts. What Daniel is shown in the vision and what Daniel is told by Gabriel, the angelic messenger who interprets the vision. And then the chapter closes very simply with Daniel's reaction to what he sees and hears. So let's look at first what Daniel sees in the vision of the ram and the goat. The vision opens with this ram standing on the banks of the canal. It has, it has two horns, one being higher than the other. Similar to the, to the, the bear whose, whose one side was raised up over the other. And this ram starts charging and asserting his power and displaying his greatness in all directions. And no beast is able to stand against his charging assault. And note, it says no one can rescue from his power. Until that is, Daniel sees another animal, a male goat, literally flying across the earth from the west. Remember the swiftness of the leopard with four wings. And he has one large horn between his eyes, and he basically comes and he owns this powerful ram. He unleashes his wrath on the ram. He smashes the two horns. He throws him to the ground and begins trampling all over him. And now there's no one who can save the ram from the goat's power. And Daniel sees that the goat becomes great. But then this large horn on the goat is broken. And it's replaced by four horns facing in all directions. Remember the four heads of the leopard. And Daniel sees this little horn on the goat come out of one of the four horns which grows towards the east and the, and the south and towards the glorious land, a reference to the place of God's people in Israel. And this little horn comes against the hosts of heaven and the stars and rises up against the forces of the Lord Himself, the Prince of hosts. And He comes and He removes the, the burnt offering sacrifices and He overthrows the sanctuary and he, he throws to the ground truth and He seemingly triumphs for a time over the Lord and His hosts. And here Daniel is seeing opposition and rebellion against the Lord and His people on a grand scale. An assault against heaven waged upon the earth in the devastation and desolation of the Lord's temple and the apparent triumph over evil. Yet once again, Daniel's told this victory is only temporary. Lasting a specific time 
2,300 evenings and mornings until the sanctuary is restored. So that, that's what Daniel sees in this vision. This ram, two great horns, defeated by a goat with one horn that then becomes four horns and then produces a little horn that wreaks havoc against the Lord and His hosts. Clear enough, right? Well, not really. Which is why Daniel seeks understanding of what it all means And he receives it in some measure as he sees one having the appearance of a man call over to another named Gabriel, messenger of the Lord, and and commanded to make Daniel understand the vision. And so God begins to shed some light on things for Daniel. He begins by telling him that this vision is, is for the future, for the time of the end, or what he calls the latter end of the indignation. Again, God's overseeing this unfolding history, and he's working matters according to his plan and purpose. And so Gabriel identifies first the ram and the goat. He said the ram represents the the Medo-Persian empire with the two great horns being the kings of Media and Persia. Persia under Cyrus was the greater of these, thus the larger horn. And as we know, his empire spread throughout the, the known world at the time. Knowing this, it's understandable why Daniel was so quick to to understand and interpret the the writing on the wall at Belshazzar's feast. He knew from this vision that Babylon would fall to the Persian forces. And there they were, camped outside of the city. And indeed, Darius the Mede, one of the ram's horns, would come that very night. And then the angel tells Daniel that the goat is the king of Greece and the great horn is the first king whom we now know, looking back on history, was Alexander the Great. Alexander rose quickly to prominence as a general in the Greek army. At the age of 21, he began to to conquer armies of that time and his army moved westward with such swiftness that in Literally, by the time he was 26, he'd conquered the world as far as India up to that time. And that included a devastating and lopsided victory over the Persian army in 334 BC, in which he reportedly killed 20,000 Persian soldiers while losing only 100 of his own men. He literally rushed in and trampled the ram conquering and destroying the Persian Empire. But the horn of Alexander's rule was short-lived and was broken when he died at age 33. And his empire was then divided among four of his generals, four lesser kings who ruled the regions of of Macedonia and and Thrace and, and Egypt and Syria. But as great as Alexander's power and rule was, It's interesting that he's but a footnote in this vision. The focus is on this little horn. A bold-faced king whom Gabriel says shall arise from, from one of these four lesser kings and who shall be powerful but not by his own power. He says he will cause fearful destruction. He will destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. Note God's concern is... Not so much with the great horns of earthly might, but on this little horn who is dead set against the Lord and the destruction of His people. 
Here again, we have a, a conflict of cosmic proportions, a picture of spiritual forces of evil waging war against heaven through this very specific little horn of a king. And so who is this little horn? Well, history tells us that out of the Seleucid kingdom, which was the Syrian branch of the four divisions of Alexander's empire, arose a king named Antiochus. He usurped power over this kingdom in 175 BC, and he gave himself the title Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus the illustrious God, or God made manifest. And he was a ruthless, power-hungry leader. And he attacked the Jews in Palestine, and he sought to eradicate all of their, their beliefs and practices and force them to, to fully adopt Greek culture. And he accused them of, of rebellion and he savagely attacked Jerusalem. He murdered some 40,000 Jews in the space of a few days and he enslaved tens of thousands more. He replaced the high priest with his own traitorous priest. He defiled and desecrated the temple area. He entered into the, the Holy of Holies, the, the inner sanctuary, and he set up an idol to Zeus. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Lord. He banned circumcision, did away with the sacrifices at the temple. He forced the Jews to eat that which was unclean according to God's law. He profaned the Sabbath and other feasts, and he destroyed copies of the Torah, the law of God. This was an assault on God and His people. And it eventually led to a revolt by a group of Jews who eventually drove the Syrian forces from Judah and cleansed and rededicated the temple in 164 B.C. And this is such an accurate fulfillment of the description given by the angel to Daniel of the devastation of this little horn that, that some have said Daniel must have been written later after these events had to take place. But that would deny the need for God. <laughs> The Lord of history is not interested in predicting events that happened in the past, but showing forth His sovereign knowledge and His power over all of history. But the point of the vision is not simply to describe a future earthly conflict against God's people, but to give a, a, a bigger picture. To give a picture of the, of the cosmic struggle with the spiritual forces of evil that will be, will be revealed more fully to Daniel in his final vision, which we'll look at in days to come. Daniel was given this vision to give him and to give the, the people of God in exile, some of whom would soon, as I said, be returning to Jerusalem, an understanding that the, the dark days and the long struggle with sin and the powers of evil would, were not over. It would extend well beyond the days of Daniel, well beyond the return of the God's people to Jerusalem, even beyond the days of Antiochus in his desolation. The spiritual forces at work in Antiochus's warfare against the Lord and his people are still at work in the struggles and in the trials of God's people even today. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, but an enemy much greater. And yet even in the revealing of the bad news to Daniel, there's good news. We are not alone in this struggle. God is not defeated 
from His throne. He is powerfully at work even in such dark days. And even though these kings and these kingdoms boast of their greatness and may seem so powerful, they are pictured here as merely rams and goats in the hands of the Lord. And even though this little horn may for a moment appear to overthrow God's reign and thwart God's will, he is still just a little horn in the hands of a sovereign God. And his days are numbered. Literally numbered on the Lord's calendar as Daniel sees. Even as God shines light on these dark days, he answers the question to some degree, how long for Antiochus? The Lord's people in the temple would be given over to this power of evil, but only for a limited time. The angel says the desolation of this little horn would be for 2,300 evenings and mornings. If you, if you count it out in days, depending on how you look at it, it could be seven years or, or three and a half if you, you count the day and the evening, the morning and the evening as two parts of a day. But commentators have tried to pinpoint exactly what and when this timing is in relation to Antiochus. And, and really, it doesn't work out all that great, although there's some links there. And although the exact times and dates may not be clear, the message is God remains on the throne of heaven. He is in control and ordering all the events of history according to His time. And nothing and nobody will ultimately stand against Him. Once again, we see that God is deeply involved in the daily struggle of His people, even such that He reveals to Daniel what is to come and what is the outcome. As Paul puts it in Romans 6, if God is for us, who will stand against us? And such is the light of hope in the midst of dark days. God affirms His ultimate victory even in the face of difficult times ahead. And God is faithful to His promise. The desecration of the Lord's temple, the casting out of truth, the seeming triumph of evil over God's purpose and plan by Antiochus Epiphanes would come to an end. And it's, it would itself foreshadow an even darker day to come. Years later, the, the temple of the Lord would again come under siege. The truth of God would again be thrown down because of man's sin and rebellion. Only this time, it would be God's own people who lay their hands on the Lord's anointed in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the living Word of God, the very embodiment of God's presence, the very holy of holies come in human flesh, would come to His own and He would be rejected. In what was the darkest day in history when the, the sun literally stopped shining, the leaders of God's people allied themselves against the Prince of Hosts and called for Him to be crucified. And on the cross, it seemed on that day as if sin had won. As if evil had triumphed and the darkness had overcome the light. And yet, even such rebellion and hatred against the Lord Himself, could not stop His plan and purpose. Compared to God, Satan is nothing but the little horn of a goat. And through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God for the sins of the world, God accomplishes His victory over sin and death and the forces of evil. And the darkness does not overcome the light. 
After three days, the temple of the Lord is raised up, just as Jesus said, in His body, which is resurrected from the grave. And the King of kings, having conquered all of evil and sin, is exalted to God's right hand, where even now He rules and reigns over His people. And through the power of the cross, God continues His rule and reign over all things for His glory and for the good of His kingdom. And so it's on the cross that the sacrifice necessary for sin was truly brought to an end. (laughs) Jesus paid the price for our transgressions. The power of the prince of this world would finally and fully be broken. And the cross is the guarantee. It's our guarantee that God always triumphs for His people in the struggles and in the hardships and the trials that we face, whether that be a result of our own continued sin and rebellion against Him for which Jesus went to the cross or from the fierce attack of God's enemies and the forces which raise up against His kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord and His anointed and His church. And so as we continue in this journey, as we find ourselves at times asking the question, how long, O Lord? As we look around us and we see, see uh, uh, either powers raised up or even the, 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 the personal um, work of our sin in our lives rebelling against God, we must never lose the sight of the fact that the Lord is not slow in fulfilling His promise. His timing may be different than ours. His perspective is much greater than ours. And He has assured us through the life and death and resurrection of His Son Jesus that He's working His perfect plans and purposes for the glory of His name and for the good of His people. God will bring judgment on His enemies. And He will bring an end to the suffering of His people. But until that day comes, we live in a time when the light has shone in the darkness. We've seen that victory and triumph of God over sin and death. and We live in a time when He is patiently withholding His judgment and wrath for sin and gathering into His kingdom sinners who will turn from their sin and trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. In the time that remains until that final day, When we ask that question, how long? God remains in control and He is present and powerful for His children even as we go through dark days. And as we await that day, He calls us to look forward. He reminds us in His Word and through His Son that we will still face trouble and suffering in this world. But Jesus has overcome the world and He calls us to look forward with longing eyes to the day when the the princes and the powers of this world are finally broken. When we are fully redeemed from our sin and all things are made right. Daniel's reaction to this vision is understandable. It's informative for us. First, I'm glad that even though Daniel had the vision, he didn't understand it all. He says there are still things beyond his understanding. He did not see clearly with the hindsight that we do. And and so there were still elements that were in the dark for him. And the same is true for us. Though God has revealed 
to us the future of His rule and reign and the triumph of His kingdom and the fact that we will face trials and struggles on the journey. As Tony prayed earlier, we can't know all the details. And we don't know some of that which lies ahead. And at times we can't understand God's ways. They're higher than ours. But we can trust Him. We can know that He is sovereign and in control and that He is working on behalf of His people. Also, Daniel was overcome by this vision. He was made physically ill by what he saw. Why was that? Here we see Daniel's compassion, his heart for the Lord and for his people. Even though these things would come long past the time when Daniel was dead, he is grieved and he is broken for the suffering of God's people. He bears the burdens of, of future saints and members of God's household whom he does not even know. Do we carry that same burden for the Lord and for His church? Or if things are going well for us, do we say, no worries. Things are good with me. Those things don't necessarily affect me. God calls us to weep with those who weep. He calls us to bear one another's burdens. And when, when one member of the body suffers, we're told we all suffer. Daniel is, is suffering the burden of the vision that he's seen and the, the future suffering of God's people. Do we have the burden for the future of our children? Do we have the burden for the church for as long as God continues to tarry in this world? Does it do what we'll see it does for Daniel in the next chapter, driving him to his knees in confession and repentance and prayer on behalf of God's people? To be overwhelmed and overcome by the pain and the effects of sin and evil is a hard thing, but it's a good thing. It's a mark of knowing and understanding the bigger picture of God's glory and the greater battle against His kingdom. And lastly, Daniel says, I rose and went about the king's business. In the end, the next day, Daniel got up and went to work. He kept going about the duties to which God had called him in the place that God had put him, knowing that God is indeed not only in control, but being in control, Daniel's role is to continue in faithfulness and service to the king God had put him in service to, and ultimately to the true king of kings. So in the midst of our own struggles, when the days seem dark and there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel, what can we do? We can live as faithful followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of the circumstances He's given us. As hard as those may be, in the midst of our own struggles, when the days seem dark, we continue to love our spouses, to lead and shepherd our children, to walk in obedience to Christ as His ambassadors to our neighbors and our co-workers, our family members. We live our lives in prayer and, and in the Word and communion with the Lord and with His fellowship and with His people. And We may not be able to change the course of history, 
or the outcome of God's plan and purposes. But like Daniel, God has given us our place in history. Our place in the story. He has you. He has me. Where we are. That we might trust Him fully. That we might be sanctified by Him as we live in the power of the grace and the truth which is embodied in His Son, Jesus Christ, and given to us by His Spirit. And that's encouraging to know that God is on the throne and that God is with us as we walk through those dark days and that one day the light will be fully revealed and shine, shining gloriously in His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we look upon the days in which we live and we see all around us the trials, the struggles, the opposition to your truth, your way. We see that not only around us, Lord, but we see it at times even in our own hearts as we battle our own rebellion, our own desire to set up our kingdoms, our own fear and uncertainty in this life. And Lord, we cry out, how long? How long until these things are removed? Until these things are made right. And Father, we thank you and we praise you that we live on this side of the cross. We live seeing the fulfillment of the temple restored in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we now live as part of that temple, as living stones in your sanctuary in which you dwell among us and in us by your Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart like Daniel's. To be overwhelmed and sickened by the evil and the sin that we see around us. To be weeping with those who weep. To bear one another's burdens in the midst of this journey, but not to do so as those who have no hope. But Father, to do it in the hope, the sure hope, that these sufferings do indeed produce character and perseverance and hope that rests assured in Your love poured out in our hearts through Your Son, Jesus. And then Lord, equip us to walk in this life by faith. To do the work you've called us to do. In our schools. In our homes. In our offices. On our campuses. Wherever it is you have us, O oh God. Whatever the circumstances we face. May we be about your business. 
And may we walk according to your will and your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.